The promotion party may have been delayed, but Norwich City won 1-0 at Derby thanks to a fantastic Kieran Dow free kick, and they will soon be celebrating being a Premier League side again. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbert and Connor Southwell, coming to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM at the end of a, well, an exciting week, uh, a bit of... Um, uh, from one extreme to the other, a 7-0 home win to a, a very, very tense 1-0 win at Derby in the end. Wasn't it, Pad? Uh, when uh, when Tim Krull made that slipping injury to a time, I feared that we were going to end up having a, a bit of a, a negative narrative. Well, if I felt as soon as he put the board up and said four minutes, I thought, here we go, this is Preston again, isn't it? Good Friday when they were not hanging on, but you know it was a very slender lead and we knew that panned out. Um, and yeah, that particular moment you referenced was slightly concerning. I tell you what, I've realised that um, Paul Chesterton, photographer to the to the stars, uh, he's uh, he's got a great frame. <laughs> I've seen it in our system this morning, Sunday morning, because uh, I just thought, yeah, Kazim Richards has robbed Tim Krul, who's sort of sort of in the right back area outside of his box, and then the ball's got squared, and then Graham Shinney, the uh, Derby midfielder, has skied it. And for hours he missed that open goal. But actually, um, Hanley's back on the line. But Alex Tete, fair play to him, came on in the 89th minute for Todd Cantwell. He's actually, there's a great frame Paul's got. Uh, he's come out to close down Shinny and put pressure on him. So um, it wasn't quite as a horrendous miss as, as I thought in real time. And, and a lot of that was down to Alex Tete, who, albeit in a very small cameo, might well have uh, secured that win. And uh, yeah, that, that, as Daniel himself said, Farker after the game, he thinks that's them over the line now, very bullishly declaring that they will be a Premier League club and there will be a celebration to be had at the end of the season. Caveat, obviously, they can't quite down tools because it's not quite done. But um, basically, given how Daniel's been very keen to just sort of live in the moment for the last, I don't know, it feels like six weeks or so, um, and not get too carried away for, for him essentially to declare it's job done. And... Uh, yeah, that tells you how big that moment there you were referring to, DF, could be. Because obviously, it's only one point. Um, there's still even a little more little bit of work to, to do, if that makes sense. And uh, whereas now, it's um, OK, it wasn't done and dusted because Swansea and Brentford did their jobs and, and had some handsome wins on the road. But it's going to be this week. And uh, hopefully, it's as a result of Norwich going out and putting on a performance against Bournemouth uh, Saturday night, Carrow Road as it stands, given the events sort of um, with the Royal passing, but uh, we still expect it to be Saturday night coming. And uh, yeah, it'd be nice for Norwich to go and actually win it rather than you know, by default. But even if it was by default, a team sat on 90 points with five games to go, um, all sorts of record tumbling left, right and centre. As we've discussed ad nauseum on here recently, it is uh, shaping to be a phenomenal season on the pitch. Yeah, we'll come back to the nuts and bolts of when things might get confirmed and stuff like that. That we know now that two points seals it. They'll be promoted if they win the next two against Bournemouth and Watford. They're champions. So uh, if they can just keep things nice and simple like that, then it'll be uh, that'll be great. Because <laughs> I think everyone's sick of uh, sort of the numbers and trying to work out when this and that is going to happen, aren't they? But uh, Connor, I think um, yeah, just the way that second half rolled out and and it was disappointing but Derby deserve a lot of credit as well but I think you know within probably 10-15 minutes for the vast majority of people once you've just shaken off the sort of nervousness of that second half everybody remembered hang on 
90 points. This is pretty special. The overall position, unbeaten in 13, we've got to savour this. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't come around very often, does it, that, that Norwich have such a convincing league and are so dominating in the division. It doesn't happen. You have to savour it. And um, uh, and yeah, it's been so impressive. And, and I think what was impressive about sort of yesterday, we can kind of speak about midweek and, and reference that. It, it was kind of a direct contrast to that where it wasn't necessarily particularly pretty. Uh, midweek was all about the attack and Buendia and Campwell and Pukki and Dowell. And yesterday was about Kieran Dowell to an extent, but equally was about... Grant Hanley, Ollie Skip, Tim Krull, um, Alex Tetty, as, as Pad rightly referenced there. It was about the defensive side of things. And it wasn't, it, it probably was, if, if you want to use the Daniel Farkerism, a, a dirty 1 0, wasn't it? And um, I think it's, it's just a reminder that they can feel just as sweet sometimes, particularly when, you know, you're, you're living on a bit of a knife edge. And, and um, uh, but yeah, the, the crucial thing, as you said, is to get to that 90 points mark because I think all the all of history um, in, in the championship and, and everything tells you now that even though it's not mathematical, there, Norwich are, are pretty much uh, well. They they are there in my mind, and um, and and now it's just about sort of having the the remainder of the season to to celebrate and and marvel in in what has been a tremendous Norwich City side, one that's going to be remembered for for years to come. I think for how successful and how dominant they've been in this division, which I think if if you kind of rewind to last July, last August, is probably beyond most people's wildest expectations. And I think Daniel Farker deserves a lot of credit. Also for kind of performances like yesterday where they're defensively so robust and that was kind of a criticism that was levelled at them last season. They, they maybe didn't have that to their game. Um, but that's that's how champions win football matches. They find a way, they defend resolutely. And um, and yeah, that's that, that's probably what's going to win them the title in the end, the amount of goals they've conceded perhaps rather than the goals they've scored. But um, but yeah, very, very good in terms of position. Incredible. It's, every time you look at a league table, it's it's quite surreal actually to see how far ahead they are. And, and I'm sure supporters feel the same. So yeah, one to save for, for, for sure. And the last five games are, are all about celebration for me. Yeah, eight, 18 clean sheets now. They're in contention for the club record there, which is 20. Um, they've only conceded 28, so they're in contention for a club record there. Was a club record 14th away win, uh, which is uh, nice. Although I suppose uh, you've got the element of behind closed doors to that as well, haven't you? Maybe some people will put a, an asterisk alongside it as to... Uh, you know that they didn't have to deal with fans and things like that, but the uh, the individual statistics of goals scored and conceded and stuff—they're all in contention contention for sort of record status as well. But I think I think uh, eight of those clean sheets have come in this unbeaten run of thirteen as well. So the kiss consistency is great, and I made that point in my video verdict that. It, you know, take the Huddersfield game on the opening day of the season. You you scratch a one nil win uh, then, and everyone's raving, aren't they? Because uh, well, hey, that was the first win in six months and first goal in however long. But um, earlier in the season, when you grind out one nil wins, everyone's buzzing about it, aren't they? So um, yeah, not not the most sort of fun and enjoyable game, particularly coming off the back of a of an epic seven nil club record win. Um, but they uh, they all count, don't they? And um, yeah, so Swansea 18 points behind, which means they would have to win all of their six games. Norwich would have to lose five. Massive goal difference, as you say. That's not going to happen. Swansea are, are out of it. Brentford, 17 points behind. They've got 18 points to play for. So, you know, Norwich get one draw, for instance, and it's the same same situation then, isn't it? They need a massive goal difference. It is going to happen. There's absolutely no about, doubt about it. You don't get to 90 points and not get promoted from the championship. So let's just focus on the beautiful goal, which won this game, Paddy. They, uh, 
well, third in five games from Kieran Dow, who is um, making good progress now. It feels like he's finding uh, his equilibrium a little bit between Buendia and Campwell. They're learning how to to play with each other a little bit better, but the technique was just gorgeous, wasn't it? It was. It was a fantastic uh, to finish. Daniel played with it world-class, um, and it was because, the, the, as Daniel said, you know, you're that close to the goal, literally 18 yards out. You've got a tall wall. To get it up and down, and um, and and actually where it landed, right in the postage stamp, if you want to call it that. Uh, David Marshall could only watch it, um, and he is a guy who's been particularly troublesome to Norwich, um, seemingly every time they've played him since he left. So couldn't do anything about it. He could have had two or three keepers on that line, and uh, they would struggle to keep that out. And uh, yeah, to me, it's it's a sign of the lad's growing confidence because he's basically sent away Buendia, who has been the set piece man, really. Um, to this point of the season, maybe Mario would have had an argument when he's on the pitch. But no, I'm taking this. This is my side. He'd had one just before that, actually 10 minutes or so before, and just flicked into the side netting. So he got his sighter in. And worth pointing out that that free kick came a result as a result of he basically won the ball back uh, high, off the, high up the pitch, drove towards the edge of the box, and then uh, the left back, the W4 Cyphers, tumbled him over to the ground. So, you know, in many regards, uh, he, he both won the free kick and then devastatingly finished it. And, uh, yeah, it's good to see. It's good to see because I think that's probably that there. And in a, in a slightly broader sense, those the last five games and the three goals is what Norwich fans probably thought they were getting when he, when he pitched up last summer from Everton. You know, the whole pedigree that came with him um, and, and just that excitement that he could be the missing link almost in an area of the field where, as we know, we don't need to go back down that route again. But last season, that was a very problematic area of the pitch for Daniel Farker's team. Tried to address it in the last January window of that season. Didn't work. Andre Duda bombed as a, as a loan signing. They needed to, to do something. And Dal was the man they f- hoped would fill the void. Sadly, uh, up until this point, injury has really curtailed his impact. But uh, that again yesterday, the confidence to do what he did, um, he obviously feels very comfortable in that side now. Um, he feels the trust of the, of the head coach. He probably feels the trust of the players. It was great to see the celebrations. We again some great frames from Paul. You know the way Emmy Buendia celebrated it. He, he is a man who who would have appreciated that technique probably more so than any other of his teammates. But just everybody engulfed him on the pitch. And um, you know I've always got the sense with him that he's just a young man who probably needs an arm around the shoulder and, and a bit of love. And to be told how important he is because he's had such a nomadic existence. Didn't really make it at Everton, and he basically had to go out and had loan spell after loan spell, and that's very difficult for a young player because you're always trying to prove yourself, and then you know inevitably you go back to your parent club, and then the cycle starts again. So I've, I've felt the talent isn't in doubt, but it, he he just needs almost that belief given to him by a coach who believes in him and players who believe in him, and uh, yeah, it's great to see, and it just you just hope he stays clear of, of injury and. We don't need to get into a big discussion about next season, but I think his ability to adapt in the Premier League could go a long way to how well Norwich do, I think. Yeah, I could see him being a bit like Campwell in in terms of the Premier League suiting his rhythm as well, um, where Toddy just looked uh, a little bit more comfortable at times, didn't he, without people sort of nipping at his ankles constantly and, and you know, playing against teams who are trying to play football uh, most of the time as well. Um, but still only 23, Dowell, as well. So, um, And when you think about his finishes, you know, the goal against Huddersfield when he linked with with Buendia, even the one at Luton in the League Cup was was a good finish. And, and of course, the one at Forest. Um, so this finish, Connor, joins a, 
a quite long list actually of of goal of the season contenders um I, I won't ask you to pick one now because we i think that takes a bit of uh time to consider and look back because there's been a, been a lot haven't there but you know the the Buendia one sticks in my mind when McLean dinked it over his shoulder against Barnsley from from halfway and he took it on the volley. I loved that and and Pookie, I think the the one at Stoke when he just took it in his in his path and volleyed left foot into into the bottom right corner. But Dow probably has uh, forced his way into uh, into that fairly long list now. Yeah, and in terms of raw technique, this is right up there. It's, it's such a difficult skill as well. It wasn't as if it's from 30 yards and you've got enough sort of space on the pitch to get it up and down as well. And for me, it, it kind of combined power and precision in, in one, which is which is almost very difficult. It reminded me a little bit of um, the way James Madison takes a free kick where he really whips it and gets real pace behind it. And yeah, I, I think it's one of those, isn't it, where, where you, could, you could adopt the cliche and say there could have been two goalkeepers and they still wouldn't have saved it. And I think that's exactly the case with that. And um, free kicks are, are notoriously difficult. <laughs> you only have to ask Emi Buendia about that, given the quality he, he perhaps <laughs> has and the fact that he hasn't scored any. Um, it, it it was yeah it was incredible i was i was actually surprised he managed to get it on target because it was pretty much right on the edge of the area and those are the most difficult particularly when you've got a, a wall in the way and it was a pretty pretty tall wall as well that he had to get it over so all of those sort of factors combined i think it, it, it is in the debate for sure um and i i would agree with what you said on on kieran Dow there in terms of the premier league he, he's kind of um, unlike, I guess, Campwell and Buendia, he's got the ability to sort of glide with the ball. He can, uh, he can open up a game, and um, Norwich maybe don't necessarily have that. And in the Premier League, probably going to be playing on the counter attack a lot more. You're going to be soaking up a lot of pressure. You need those players who can progress the ball up the pitch, and he probably has that combined with maybe a threat that Norwich didn't have as much last time in the Premier League, which is a threat from range as well. He's he's not afraid to hit a shot, as we've kind of detailed there. All of his goals have have, have been pretty good ones. So different reasons but um, that strike against Forest, which was outside the box I think Luton was outside the box as well in the League Cup the one you referenced this was obviously a free kick those fine margins in games can often be crucial particularly in the top flight so I, I would like to see a bit more of him in terms of in games I think he kind of fades in and out a little bit but then he's not played football a hell of a lot this season so that's probably to be understood and in terms of output is excellent so yeah I think he's, he's growing he's hitting form at the right time Always felt he kind of needed a run towards the back end of the season with a view to pre-season um, because I think it's it's probably inevitable that Norwich City are going to bring in some competition there. But in terms of raw technical ability, I think he's he's, he's up there with with as, as good as what Norwich have. So, um, yeah, hopefully more to come from him. Like you say, age is on his side. Every Everything is, is a plus. I think everything's a tick in his box. And now it's just over to him to try and show that consistency that Pad was talking about at a permanent club, which he, have, which he hasn't had. So, um, yeah, I, I, th I think there's more to come, which is quite exciting, really, I think, given the last five or six games that he's, that he's played. It's a good point on that long-range threat because Steepman offered that two seasons ago, didn't he? And then didn't wasn't able to offer it at all in the Premier League. So, you know, you see a lot of goals scored from outside the box in the Premier League because you're you're among the top players. So that's interesting. Um, also, Pad, you made that point about Dowell actually winning the ball. Um, also, Buendia was key to it, wasn't he? Because he charged back to get in front of Craig Forsyth and sort of force him backwards. And then Dowell makes the interception. So, um that sort of tenacity from Emmy was important as well. But he overall had a, a, a quite a strange day, didn't he, Emmy? After being um, 
well, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. We both gave him 10 out of 10 in our ratings, didn't we, um, in the Huddersfield game? And actually, you mentioned the free kicks, Connor. He, he, he got sort of lost in amongst it, didn't he? But he absolutely rattled the crossbar with a free kick in that one. He nearly actually scored, scored a free kick. But, but Emmy, yeah, um, we saw him come back on with a, um, a bag of eyes, didn't we? But Daniel didn't seem to think it was um, too much of a problem, did he? Well, he's clearly managing this issue now. He, he... It's it's obviously not ligament damage because if it was, he, he, there's no ice in the world that would be able to get him back out on the pitch. So it's just heavily bruised, really swollen. Daniel talked about it again yesterday, and every subsequent kick, you know, you know yourselves, um, if you've got you know a bruising and you get a kick on it, it's good, you're going to be yelping as as he does, as you can visibly hear him in a stadium with no supporters. And yeah, there was a few uh, there was a few Swiss rolls as well yesterday as well. He wants to maybe <laughs> knock that on, yeah. And he's probably in danger of damaging his ankle further the way he keeps rolling around. But um, he's clearly in a lot of pain, all flippancy aside. And uh, and it was too much yesterday. I, I was actually, you know, I saw he gave it the the sort of the hands rolling around signal as time to get off, you know. And that contrasted with you know a Good Friday where Daniel couldn't get him off at halftime at Preston, where he had a, a, a bit of rough treatment on that right ankle. Um, and he was desperate to stay on. So the fact that he wasn't able to continue tells you how much pain he must have been in on Saturday at Derby. And uh, it's not huge concern if it's that type of injury, because obviously, as Daniel did reference, you know, they've got a full week now leading into Bournemouth. That's plenty of time, you would think, for him to be declared available and fit to play. But, you know, he's obviously not mobile-wise um, able to sort of operate at his optimum levels. And, and it's all the more remarkable that he could still in the midst of this issue with his ankle serve up what he did against Huddersfield the other night. But, um, yeah, in terms of, you know, will he be available for Bournemouth? I, I think you'd, you'd struggle to keep him off the pitch because he wants to be on there. He wants to be the main man. He wants to be at the hub of everything. And that is shaping up to be a rather special night in the season, possibly the climax, the promotion. So uh, at this stage, I have no doubt whatsoever he will be in the 11 come Saturday night at Carrow Road. But, um it's probably something again that it's only really when we get to the end of the season and he's got a summer to rest and recuperate that he's probably going to be able to probably let the swelling go down and and then be a little bit like Ben Gibson, a little bit like Dowell, as Connor referenced, you know, pre-season then for these chaps is very important uh, to build themselves back up again for the huge challenge that awaits. Yeah, he um, it's a cotton wool job, isn't it? Yeah, there's no need for him to be training front end of this week, basically getting back into training on Thursday or Friday and you know the game's not until 8pm on Saturday night so just let Wendy rest up really he's already in his flow isn't he we know how good he is so um, yeah I don't think he needs sort of a, an intense training week and I dare say given they don't have a midweek game that Daniel will probably do that with a few of the players your, your Pookies and Hanleys and stuff you, you, at this stage of the season I can't imagine given that they're already on 90 points and stuff that you need to be flogging the players in training it's more about relaxing and trying to maintain that confidence and things like that but Connor should we give a decent bit of credit to, to Wayne Rooney's side as well and Derby we knew that they tightened up quite a bit under under Rooney they'd only conceded an average of a goal a game since he went in there struggled for goals have had a lot of injuries and stuff but I was impressed with just just how hard they worked really and how uncomfortable they made it for Norwich yeah, yeah, exactly that. And and they looked a team fighting for their lives, didn't they? And it's it's funny you mentioned the defensive side because they, they have been better at that, I think. And the partnership of, of Mengi and Wisdom, yes, they kept Timu Puki largely quiet, which is no yeah. mean feat at this level. Certainly a lot of championship defences have struggled with it. But 
overall, I felt they were probably better going forward than they were defensively. Josiak, I felt, caused a, a threat all all afternoon before he he went off, and Kazim Richards is 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 a bit awkward as well. So, yeah, they they had a threat, and I think watching them yesterday, you kind of watched them, and when I compare them to maybe Huddersfield or certainly others that we've seen this season. You, you do sort of your mind boggles as to how they're down there a little bit um, because they, they don't look like a team particularly that's in trouble. But yeah, they're, they're certainly a team fighting for their lives. And, and I think that showed they will probably be very disappointed they didn't come away with a point, to be honest, because I think they they could make the argument that they legitimately deserve that, especially given, as as we mentioned, the chance late on. Uh, Kazim Richards had a good uh, a good uh, chance as well in the second half. Mengi saw an effort save. So they, they, they created the chances to to extract a point out of that. And maybe that is the reason why they're down there because they can't finish their, their chances and, and maybe rescue points. Um, but overall, yeah, I think you've, you've got to be very impressed. And given it's his first job in management, I think the way, if, if Wayne Rooney keeps them up, that's a massive achievement, I think, compared to perhaps where they were. And then he can view pre-season as maybe a bit of a, a clean slate and look to maybe implement a bit more of a playing style. I think he said that himself, that he wants to he wants to do that next season. And, and this season is about points and necessity over perhaps style and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, they, they look like a team heading in the right direction, obviously, with an imminent, imminent takeover as well. It wouldn't be particularly surprising, I think, to to see them um, upwardly mobile again next season, but yeah, I think from their perspective, you you probably argue that that they they maybe deserve a point. But as as it is with this Norwich side, they, they're capable of keeping clean sheets and, and and keeping sides at bay, and that's a trait that um, certainly two years ago Norwich didn't have. So that capability to win games ugly and and, and win them to get those dirty one nils is is probably as, as we said at the top end, probably why they are where they are because they can. They've got both facets of their game where they can blow teams away, but equally they can they can manage games really well as well. And when you've got those two elements to your game, I think that's that's pretty ominous for everyone else. So um yeah, Norwich deserve credit, but I, I, I did feel it was a good performance from Derby as well. Yeah. And I mean we had a good vantage point, didn't we, Pad, in terms of the benches and the technical areas. We weren't too far away at all. And the the Derby coaches were a bit tedious, weren't they, in terms of their constant barking really it was Shay Given and Liam Rossini are in support of Rooney wasn't it so a sort of two-sided question for you um a it should be remembered that in the first half Derby had three players booked could have had another two players booked really got stuck into Norwich to disrupt them when they were playing much better in the first half than they did in the second but then the second conversely to those Derby coaches barking and really driving their players Daniel Farker was absolutely raging throughout that second half, wasn't he? <laughs> he was, yeah. Not unusual. I mean, he does he does lose it a touch, you know. That's <laughs> the, that is the standards he demands. I mean, obviously, you go back to you know midweek and final whistle. He's he's got Andrew Amabama Daly in the centre circle giving him a tactical lesson on positioning at throw-ins. I mean, and you think, well, you're probably being a bit churlish there, to be honest, after winning seven nil. But he's not doing it for effect. He's doing it to to continually maintain the standard because he knows, and he's touched on this recently, you know, what they're doing now is immense and will rightly be placed in its historical context. But where they're going next, which is the Premier League, they have to be better than they are now in every aspect. And he's trying to build something that is equipping this group of players and the club in general for the Premier League challenge, the ultimate challenge, as he would call it, you know, and, um, it's all very well, you know, to grind out a win, for example, at Derby. But, but you know, there's there's aspects of that because they might be in a similar situation, you know, next season. But if they're playing against better teams 
um, better individuals, better coach sides as well, then, you know, they might not be able to grind it out in doing the things that he feels he doesn't want to be seeing on his side. I think it was more, a, a, he just sensed, you know, as we all did, whether you're there live or probably watching remotely, that really Derby dictated that second half. They showed more intensity, more urgency. Uh, I thought they, they got the upper hand in centre midfield. We've not that said, said that too often with McLean and Skip, but um, Max Bird, that, uh, Wayne Rooney referenced that he thought he was the best player on the park in the centre of the pitch. And, yeah, I, I did think they, they drove through at will and put a lot of pressure on that back line. You know, Hanley was immense in terms of his organisational ability, um, his screening of the near post particularly, because, you know, also they were, they were getting the ball wide. Patrick Roberts, I thought, put Janoulis into reverse gear and uh, looked like he could pass him at will. Um, and, yeah, it was an uncomfortable watch. And clearly the head coach sensed that and, and wanted a little bit more. Um, but, you know, he was also... I thought correct in his post-match assessment that, you know, mentally the, the toll on those players. We've talked a lot recently about the physical aspect with the whole Preston farce and the, and the proximity to the international window and players scattered left, right and centre. Um, and that is true, the physical aspect, but it's the mental aspect. And it just looked, there was a bit of weariness mentally around that group in the second half. Um, you know, there's a lot of miles on the clock now and it's hard to continue you know, not even to reach the Huddersfield levels of productivity, but just the levels they have shown. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think he was unduly irked by them, um, despite, you know, his, his animated sort of flourishes in the technical area. But I think, you know, he knows, as we all do, that they're capable of better performance level than they showed in the second half. But for me, there's plenty of mitigation there. And, um, you know, as he said, that every game they go into now at the minute, they have to win. It's almost a draw is, is no good to them, you know. Um which you'd probably say is not the case looking at the league table and the points differential. But there is that sense that, you know, don't give the Watfords, Brentford, Swansea's any encouragement and just continue to be as they have been relentless and remorseless. Um, but it's very hard to maintain that every game because obviously, you know, you in the Championship, these teams will look at Norwich and, and fancy taking a scalp or two and uh, every game is is a battle, really. And, uh and basically, Rooney uh, felt the first 20, 25 minutes to underline that point. They showed Norwich too much respect. And that's really where the game was won, essentially. You know, Norwich scored their goal. They were dominant. And and then they were able to play it out for the remaining hour or so. But play it out in a sense of it was more, you know, trying to repel Derby rather than go on and, and, and convert another chance or two and make it a bit more easier. But, yeah, ultimately, that's Farker. As I say, he demands a lot of his players because he knows where they're going. They will need to be um, improved in in all aspects because you know otherwise you don't you don't break this cycle you don't go up and then come back down straight again um, if you don't grow as a group and and they will need to because uh, as was proven last time in the Premier League they were very very far off the levels required so you know yes the first thing was getting back but also and it's quite clear him and Weber are, are trying to develop the culture to the extent where they don't come back again in 18 months' time and that they can actually be capable of staying up. And to do that, you need to be better in every aspect. And that's what I think this is about. It's not about can they get 100 points in the championship. It's can they get out of this league, which they're going to, and can they stay out of this league by being better in the Premier League? Yeah, I felt like that second half owed a lot to sort of mental weariness. Just a very busy 10 days. You know, those two Easter games, Preston away, Huddersfield home on Tuesday night, and then that away trip to Derby. 
I just felt like, yeah, the, the concentration was slipping a little bit and stuff like that. But those standards that Daniel sets are, have always been high and, and demanding like that. And Norwich fans love that, don't they? But I, I enjoyed Friday's press conference when I came around to my turn to put the questions to him. It, it felt like on the back of the Huddersfield game that he was just relaxing a little bit and just um, starting to enjoy the glow of what he knows is coming, of all the the praise and the promotion glory and stuff. But um, we know that in training and on match days, he absolutely will not let that slip until uh, the final ball has been kicked, has he? Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Right, Connor. I'm going to let you kick this one off. Um, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of time for um, a Grant Hanley loving. Really, uh, I think there's been pretty much universal agreement that he was the uh, man of the match for Norwich on Saturday, wasn't it? And he's had a really fantastic season. A, a few little stats and uh, facts for you, but before I give you the chance to sort of eulogise, um, Pinkin.com early Sunday afternoon, there'll be a player watch focused on Grant's performance at Derby. But a few things that I've noticed. Um, when uh, writing that up. Um, that's 37 consecutive championship games. He started for Norwich, played every single minute. He also obviously played every minute for Scotland during the international break. So the way his body and his fitness is holding up is very impressive. Um, I always like to have a look at the ratings on whoscored.com as well, which I'm sure most people are familiar with now. It's what the EFL use for their team of the weeks to put them together. They provide uh, a rating out of 10 every week and they average that out across the season as well. So the, the top championship players, they have, surprise, surprise, Emmy Buendia leading the way by a good distance on 7.80 out of 10. Uh, Kiefer Moore and even Tony uh, are, are second and third. And then Grant Hanley at fourth, uh, 7.24 out of 10 for the season. So they rate, rate him as Norwich's second best player, as the best defender in the division. And Connor, he is having a, an exceptional season and probably getting to the point. I've seen a few tweets this morning, actually, where I think most people are feeling confident that he's good enough for the Premier League. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that for sure. Um, and for me, the, the key of those statistics that you mentioned there is is actually the first one, 37 consecutive games. That's something that in, in past seasons he hasn't been able to manage. He hasn't been able to keep himself fit. And we've kind of seen glimpses of this sustained period of form in short bursts mm. and then there'd be a major injury and, and that would be sort of put aside and then it would be about the recovery and kind of starting again. So that for me is the key point. I, I don't think that ability has ever been... Um, been doubted. I think there was a, a period last year, I want to say around Christmas, just after Christmas, where he'd just come back from injury and he was beginning to find his rhythm a little bit. He was beginning to look like certainly the best defensive option that Norwich City had. It's no surprise that a, he's been picked for Scotland, but also started all three games. I think that's a nod from Steve Clark about maybe his ability compared to, to the respective options that he has. And he's just been immense, I think. And, and he's probably, as, as I mentioned, a little bit unfortunate that Buendia and Puki have been so excellent because realistically, it's, it's probably difficult to see him getting in the top three for the player of the season vote. But I don't think you can underestimate his importance, not just in terms of his raw defensive capabilities, but also in terms of his his leadership elements. When you look at the fact that an 18-year-old has had to come in and um, 
every game he's been talking him through it he's been leading him positionally he's been helping him out um, and he's, he's just a true captain I think in terms of how he drags Norwich forward and, and what he offers them um, of course he has his limitations I think everyone's aware of that but equally there's a hell of a lot of strengths there um, it's you know the way he blocks crosses the way he puts his body on the line um, he doesn't shirk tackles he doesn't he doesn't shirk opportunities to to, to get possession back and and they're key. You need that, I think, for every Emmy Bundy. You need a Grant Hanley, for example, just to to, to sort of prop the team up. And um, yeah, he's, he's been immense this season. Really, really good. And and it's not just this performance at Derby. It, it is a sustained period. And and you know, it's, I, I think it is easy for that to get lost, given Norwich City's results. But when sort of people look back on it and 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 this season, obviously that that sort of goals conceded record is there to be had. Still, Norwich are on twenty eight. I think at the top of my head, they've conceded eight this year, which is fewer than any other team in English football. That's not a coincidence. Um, that's that's because of, of players like Grant Hanley and, and the structure that Norwich have built around him. So he deserves a hell of a lot of credit for me. Now, the only question is, can he keep himself fit? That, that's got to be the, the mission for him next season in the Premier League because if he does, I think he's shown this season and as you said there, statistically, he's probably, in terms of raw defensive um, sort of characteristics, the best that Norwich City have. So it's all about it's all about keeping himself fit for me and for him, another chance to prove himself in the Premier League, which maybe he didn't feel that necessarily he could do last time because of those injuries. So, um, yeah, fully fit Grant Hanley in the Premier League, I think is, is certainly a good option for Norwich City to have. Yeah, I mean, Pad, you've already said a bit about Hanley's performance on Saturday. So to throw it forward a little bit, well, I think we did mention this briefly in one of the previous pods, but for next season defensively, how, how do you sort of see it shaping up? Because... For me, I think if Hanley and Gibson are fit and firing, then they are good enough. They can be a centre-back pairing in the Premier League. Um, but given that they've both had injury issues, and Zimmerman has, I feel like there needs to be an investment there. There needs to be uh, a bit of money spent on someone who is of that sort of standard as well, of Hanley and Gibson standing, of and and probably got the experience to handle a, what is probably going to be a Premier League relegation battle, isn't it? Unless they really nail it. In, it's, in some way, they're going to be fighting for survival, aren't they? And then maybe you've got one of the kids competing as well, Amabama Delhi or Famiwo. Is that sort of how you see it similarly as well? Yeah, I think so. On the back of what happened the last time they were up there, where they were so so short, you know, they went into that season where, um, well, Simon was unavailable and then got injured when he did come back and he was out of the equation. I think Hanley started the season and then got injured or he was injured in pre-season. Tim Closer, same scenario. Um, and they were, you know, they were literally reliant on central midfielders doing a job in the Premier League. You look back now and you think, well, that that shouldn't have been allowed to happen, and and it certainly shouldn't be allowed to happen this time around. Having already experienced that again, you know, it's the same people at the top of the club in terms of the recruitment, and I don't think they will. Yeah, to take your point, DF, I think they will have to go and do some business. Tim Close will be coming back uh, as a Premier League option. That ship has sailed. So um, for Mayo and Omabama Daily, too big a jump from League One. Um, to, to be anything other than that very raw come along for the ride type option fourth fourth and fifth choice so yeah it, it would suggest that in terms of the pure numbers they will need to because uh, you cannot go into a Premier League season with just Gibson and Hanley and Zimmerman um, for, for reasons stated already about the injuries and uh, yeah that's an in- it's a difficult one then because obviously to get the sort of quality they need you know what type of level of of expenditure is it going to cost because if you are staying Yes, we need one, but Gibson and Hanley are our first choice. How many games? And Zimmerman's in the equation as well. How many games realistically does that new addition, you know, play? But 
I think you'll have to bite the bullet on that one. And and if it, if it does cost decent money to bring somebody in, obviously there's there's various avenues that can go down. There's you know one or two, shall we say, um, very close relationships with certain Premier League clubs now. Farker and Tuchel at Chelsea, and obviously Klopp at Liverpool. Weber's very tight with Tottenham. You know, there, there's avenues to maybe go down and bring in loan players. But of course, then if you're taking loan players out of those clubs, the expectation is they're going to play games. So it's a very very difficult balancing act, but fundamentally, can Norwich go into the season in the Premier League with three senior centre-backs? No, so they will need to solve that uh, dilemma. But there's no doubt, yeah, with a fair wind opening game of the Premier League season, next season it'll be Hanley and Gibson. Yeah, one of those along those lines that I'm keeping an eye on is Mark Gurhey at Swansea. If they don't go up, uh, a Chelsea player, good passing ability, played consistently in the Championship this season – might be one that Farker can have a word with Thomas Tuchel and say, look, I can't guarantee he's going to start, but he's certainly going to be competing for that starting position. And he's probably someone who, you know, he's an England under 21 international, but he's not somebody that could arrive at Norwich and be like, I've got to start every week. <laughs> you know, he's not an established Premier League before me. He would still have to earn his spurs, wouldn't he? So, yeah, I, I think that'd be really interesting to see how they use the loan market, but I'm sure we'll come on to that sort of stuff as well. Um, Connor, you did mention Omavamadeli briefly, um, but again, his passing statistics were well up there. Yesterday, him and Hanley had the most touches on the pitch, over 100 passes. Um, I, okay, maybe he contributed slightly to to Krull's late error, but I, I think Krull has to take the majority of the blame for it. To be to be honest, he should have just got rid uh, at that point of injury time. But overall, these three games, it's been tough on him, probably mentally and physically, to play three back to back 90 minutes in 10 days. But this has been a, an exciting spell for him, and 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 hopefully has teed up his career anyway. Yeah, I thought I thought yesterday was probably the pick of them defensively, particularly when you look at that battle with Kazim Richards, who was actively looking to get on his shoulder and looking to exploit his inexperience, I felt. And he handled him really well. There was sort of one uh, moment where they were kind of wrestling on halfway and Omar managed to, to win a free kick. That's excellent, I think, for, for 18 years, years of age, particularly with someone, the experience of Kazim Richards, who's played in Mexico and in the Premier League and, and elsewhere. So I felt in terms of defensively, certainly is his best display. But I think he can take a lot of encouragement. And the fact that I, th- I think we, we probably look at the second and third game after a, a senior debut, they, they can, tend to be the toughest because you're, the adrenaline has kind of run out and it's more then about your talent and your hard work and your focus. Um, OK, the 7-0 probably didn't have too much to do, but equally managed to keep a clean sheet. And again, yesterday as well. So, it's yeah, it's a tremendous three games. He's probably he's probably riding a little bit of a wave, and that's understandable. But it's a really great period for his development now to be involved in a team this dominant in the championship to play with players the quality of which he's playing. He's only going to improve, and also it, if there is a loan option, a loan avenue for him next season, then he's getting a lot of clips, a lot of data um, that, that's going to help clubs um, sort of persuade clubs rather to, to take a chance on him so it's it's a really important period I think for his development maybe come a bit quicker than perhaps he and perhaps the club expected but he's really stepped up I think and um, if he can continue that between now and the end of the season then there's probably going to be a few championship clubs dare I say even even potentially having a look um, at him at, at the back end of the season so um, some really good um, a, a really good opportunity for him and I think he's really grasping it as well like you said in terms of distribution I think he's proven that he has the capabilities to function in the Daniel Farker side um, certainly in the future it's just going to be about gaining that experience now and, and like you say that that moment in the last minute of the game where he opts to play it back to, to Tim Krul probably in terms of how Daniel Farker wants to play was the right decision but I think at the time um, probably just 
sort of shows his, his inexperience a little bit as well. And there was a moment in, in the second half where Max Aarons wanted him to communicate a bit more. So still a lot of stuff to work on, but equally a very, very positive start to his senior football career. And, and for now, it's it's going to be about um, maintaining that and aiming for consistency between now and the end of the season with a view to possibly going out on loan and continuing his development next season for me. Yeah, Max left him in no doubt, did he? Just shouted, talk, Andrew. Uh, wanted that communication from him. To be fair to Max, he about 30 seconds or so later, once that attack had died down, Max turned around and just sort of, you know, gave him the gave him the hand, said, let's just calm down, calm down. It, maybe he was acknowledging a bit that he, you know, called him out a bit too strongly there. But that he needs that. He needs that guidance around him. Uh, the one thing that he can say is when he gets the chance to go back to Ireland and see his family this summer when it's all over. He, he's earned himself a few Guinnesses as he's a, as he's an 18-year-old as well now. So whatever happens from here, he's uh, he's kicked off his career, isn't he? And back-to-back clean sheets. So fair play to the lad. Um, let's throw things forward then, um, starting with the caveat that we don't know the exact timings of fixtures next Saturday just yet because of um, the passing of the Duke of Edinburgh in the last few days. His funeral has been scheduled for three o'clock next Saturday. So the EFL have already acknowledged that games will not clash with that because obviously that's a big national event. So we'll see how that works out, whether that means some games are at lunchtime, some games are at the, in the evening. Um, I think we can pretty safely say Norwich will remain the 8pm kickoff uh, home to Bournemouth because they uh, that's been scheduled for Sky. So you can't see any need for that to change unless everything has to move to Sunday or something. But that seems unlikely. So the week ahead, Swansea are at Sheffield Wednesday on Tuesday night. That's their game in hand, 6pm. If they drop points in that, that means they are mathematically unable to catch Norwich. Although, as we've already said, there is not a chance that that is happening anyway. So we can forget about Swansea if that were to happen or they can keep themselves just about in the conversation. Then on Saturday, Watford, who are in second place, eight points behind Norwich, nine points ahead of Brentford. They are at Luton, who, of course, have pulled out a few shock results during the season. So hopefully uh, Nathan Jones could do Norwich a favour with that one. Swansea are due to host bottom of the table Wickham, who look pretty unlikely to, to survive now. But as we know, they are a very awkward opponent. And then Brentford also at home against Millwall, who had been in the playoff shout, but after their 3-0 loss to Swansea, probably are out of the conversation now. So um, what do you make of Watford, Pad? They're, they're in a very similar run of form to Norwich. They've won 11 of 13, um, but they have lost one in, in there. They're not unbeaten in the same way that Norwich are. But Ismail Assar scored a couple of goals when they beat Reading on Friday night and stuff like that. They are very much game title rivals for Norwich and Norwich will have to very much keep their foot on the pedal if they're going to keep them at bay. Yeah, although I just think... Um... You know, that dropping two, po- two points at Borough there a couple of days ago, I think that's probably, for me, I mean, and the fact that Norwich have responded with win, Huddersfield win, Derby, I'm looking at the league table there, they're eight points clear, five games left. Very hard to see Watford turning around that, given, as Daniel rightly says, his side isn't going to lose any of those, well, lose all of those last five games. So um, you're talking almost a swing of two or three results. Yes, they play each other. Um, but for me, if if Norwich were to avoid getting beat by Watford at Car Road, I think it's pretty much done deal. I, I don't see, I don't see the title now being being anything to worry about. Certainly, promotion isn't anything to worry about. Um, but it would just be nice, maybe just uh, for the belief for the players. Not so much a belief, but the, the sort of the status of those players, given that Watford turned them over at Rickard Road over Christmas, um, just to set that particular record straight and just reinforce 
no, hang on, you know, you're on a good run, but we're the best side in this division and we're going to prove it. So I'd hope there's an element of that when the two teams meet um, 10 days or so time at Carrow Road. But in terms of the wider picture, the title, I think it's done, mate. I think um, I think Norwich will go on now and, and win the, the proportion of these five remaining games and they'll basically be too far over the hill for Watford. But, uh, you know, credit to that guy who's gone in there. Credit also to Watford, that their ownership. They are brutal. They don't hang about uh, when they're going to make a change. Um, you know, Nigel Pearson was was ousted, wasn't he, before technically the relegation from the Premier League was, was confirmed last season. And, you know, outside, people look at that and think, well, that's, you know, strange. But but much like Norwich, they, they have a clear plan and an identity and how they go about it. And, um, and ultimately, it looks like it's going to pay off and they're going to come back with Norwich. So, um, you know, that, those pozos, I think, will we'll say, well, you know, we've made the right calls, but thankfully they they they've hit fast forward just probably too late in the piece to to threaten Norwich in terms of the title. I think, but um, you know those two will go back as the automatic sides for me. Yeah, they've got a very good, solid, experienced squad, haven't they? And and since Cisco Munoz has gone in there, he seems to have kept it pretty simple. Like the Boxing David game against Norwich, I think I'm remembering rightly, he just played it 4-4-2, didn't he? And he just kept things uh, pretty straightforward. So, um, yeah, they might do. I mean, that, that's very exciting, the prospect of a proper title decider at, at Carroll Road. And, you know, as long as Norwich don't lose to Bournemouth, then that will have the potential to be, um, you know, literally win it. Because if they win the next two, they are their champions. Um, that would be a real exciting night, potentially. Um, I've I've got a feeling that we're going to be celebrating Norwich's title success at Loftus Road at QPR, um, which you won't want to hear, Pad, because I think you're missing that one, aren't you? You're uh, you're busy that day with uh, you're on wedding duties or something, aren't you? Not my own, Dave. No, no, yeah, sister-in-law's <laughs> getting married. Yeah, um, so I'd rather not, uh, to be honest. I'd rather be be there drinking champagne with you boys, but it's probably, it's definitely not going to happen off the road for me. So uh, yeah, all the more reason to do it against Watford, mate. Yeah. You'll be drinking champagne one way or another, I'm sure. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. I'll raise a glass to you boys. Funny enough, I'm in, it's actually in Wimbledon, so I'm not that million miles away from West London, but put it this way, I don't think I'd be very popular if I said I'm nipping out to get off this road. So we'll leave that there. <laughs> well, maybe we'll come to you live on the video verdict or something <laughs> to, yeah, get, to get Paddy Champagne. Um, but yeah, kind of likewise, I suppose to throw that forward a little bit, just finally, um, yeah, to, maybe I'm being a little bit negative, but Watford coming up with Norwich is kind of, say it's Watford and Bournemouth that come up and it's all three teams bouncing straight back. That's a, in a little way, it's kind of worst case scenario for Norwich, isn't it? Because I think you'd much rather they were going up with, say, well, Brentford and Barnsley would be the the dream, I suppose, or, or Reading, um, because those are not experienced Premier League teams. They haven't already got that um, money and and squad depth in the bank. Yeah, the, the only the only question mark around Bournemouth for me, if they do go up, is do they keep Jonathan Woodgate? And if they do, you've got a manager there who is is pretty inexperienced, didn't particularly do well at Borough last season, but clearly has got them firing again. So that that for me is probably the only question mark about. Bournemouth, I agree. I think Watford looked pretty strong to go and go and kick on, providing they can keep Ishmael Assar and and, and Jao Pedro and players like that. I think I think they're looking pretty well placed. Although worth noting as well that they have a, a pretty tough run in. I think they've got three of of the of the top six left to play: Norwich, Brentford, and Swansea. So you know those those games come the the end of the season against Brentford and Swansea potentially could be pretty big. Of course, that game against Luton is a local derby as well, so that's that's never guaranteed. So they've got a pretty tough run in. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's looking increasingly likely that Norwich and Watford are going to be the top two. And then playoffs for me is so difficult to call because you've got teams that 
have been out of form. Swansea and Brentford, of course, fairly emphatic wins for, for the pair of them yesterday, but struggled a little bit. And, and of course, Brentford have history of stumbling um, before, lost the playoff final last season. So that's no guarantee. Barnsley look pretty good at the moment, but does that translate well to, to the playoffs? I'm not sure. So, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I think from Norwich's perspective, you, you'd like to avoid Bournemouth coming up through the playoffs because I think Watford looks pretty certain. What I would say, looking up at the Premier League, and interesting that there's some remarks from Steve Bruce today about Norwich, you would probably want Newcastle to stay up from a Norwich perspective and maybe Brighton, Burnley, etc. because they're always teams that, that seem to be fighting it. So, um, so yeah, I think there's probably plus points and and negative points, but equally Norwich need to focus on themselves, I think, when they do get there. And it's going to be really fascinating to see how they approach it and see the lessons they've learned, particularly around recruitment and whether Daniel Farker decides to uh, to heed Steve Bruce's advice and go a bit more balanced. I'm not sure, but I think all, all of it is, is going to be interesting looking forward. Um, but yeah, it would be helpful if a Barnsley, if a Brentford, if a Swansea, who um, I, I think are in a bit of a false position anyway, certainly Swansea, um, I think if one of those came up, you, you'd fancy Norwich to, to be better than than probably those three. But I wouldn't necessarily say that Bournemouth are, are in a great position, but clearly have financial backing, which is which is going to raid them. So, yeah, it's it, it's really interesting. I mean, we spoke about this at Friday night on our previous show, Dave, and I, I, just, I think the playoffs are really interesting. I think they're very difficult to call, but I'm trying to think if it would be the first time ever that all three relegated clubs came back at the, the first attempt. And, I think it would be certainly in the championship era. So it would be interesting to see how, how that all panned out if that was the case. But yeah, with a Norwich hat on, you, you'd want a Barnsley, a Brentford, a Reading to come up, I think, rather than, than Bournemouth. Yeah, I think I'll probably flesh these thoughts out a little bit more when I come to write a column in the next few weeks. But all these comments about oh, Norwich have got to give it a go, they've got to spend, the, what, the sort of thing that Steve Bruce has said, I think it's ideal material to bottle, to pin it on the dressing room wall up, up at Colney or whatever and just take a, a bit more of the let's prove them wrong as against the world uh, mentality. A bit like Sheffield United felt like they had um, last year when they went and finished fifth. They were they were loving proving everyone wrong, weren't they? And I think Norwich need to need to develop a bit of a chip on their shoulder almost and, and, and try and really show a desperation to prove that the club's self-sustainable model can can work because um, it's, it's well-meaning, but uh, from all the evidence we've had so far, it makes it incredibly difficult to secure a Premier League future. So uh, it, it's going to be fascinating. Uh, a fascinating few months and, and years ahead. But uh, that'll do for this week's pod. Thank you very much, chaps. Thank you very much for listening. Pinkin.com, of course, is the place to go for all the latest Norwich City news and views. We've got absolutely loads lined up. We're, of course, uh, in the fortunate position that we're able to plan a bit for, for promotion and for the big day when the big moment arrives. So we've got loads uh, loads planned, loads to, to keep you busy and to hopefully allow you to, to savour this as much as you can from, from home. Uh, of course, it's, it's still looking very unlikely that fans will be able to enjoy uh, any proper celebrations. So uh, we've all got to make uh, make the best of it, haven't we? But uh, for now, thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you very soon.